All right, well, happy Thanksgiving, and I do encourage you to do just that this week, to, to take some time in the midst of the turkey and the stuffing and the, the pie and whatever else you may be celebrating with, and, and just remember how amazing God is and how much we truly have to be grateful for. And one thing I'm incredibly grateful for is the Word of God. If you weren't here last week, we talked about the persecuted church and, and how people all over the world don't have access uh, to worship God as free and openly as we do, and many of them don't even have uh, the Bible legal in their nation, and and thankfully we do. And so we're going to turn to God's Word. We're going to open God's Word today in James chapter 3, and James 3 is kind of a famous passage. James is one of uh, the Bible authors who's probably like the most direct. Like James just kind of tells it like it is. He doesn't spare any, pull any punches. He doesn't uh, hold back. He's just raw and in your face, and I love it. Uh, And in James chapter 3, he's talking about this thing that we all have that none of us are good at using a lot of times, and that is the tongue. Uh, That that thing right there, he is uh, talking about the tongue. I actually, when I was uh, in college, the summer after my freshman year, uh, and before my sophomore year, uh, my parents, I was staying back at home in North Carolina with my parents, and they had gone to Washington, D.C. for like a week. And I decided this was the perfect opportunity for me to pierce my tongue. So I went out, and I got my tongue pierced while my parents were out of town. I'm like, okay, it'll heal up while they're gone. They're not even going to notice when they get back. I knew I could do it anyway because... I was 19 years old. I was old enough I could make that decision. But I knew they weren't going to like it, so I thought I would hide it from them and do it while they were out of town. So uh, I went and did it, and the, the lady said, well, you need ibuprofen. Ibuprofen will keep the swelling down. So I start, like, popping ibuprofen like crazy. Um, and sure enough, like, for the first two days, no swelling, very, very little pain. You know, I was that guy who's like, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. It doesn't even hurt. That's a lie, by the way, but I was saying it at that point. Uh, well, day, I, so I quit taking the ibuprofen. And day four, I wake up, and day four is the day I have to go pick my parents up at the airport. Um, and my tongue is this thick uh, because I, had, I didn't think I needed the ibuprofen anymore, and I was wrong. Ibuprofen works, by the way. I'm a big believer in the power of ibuprofen. I learned that lesson. Uh, and so I go to pick my parents up at the airport, and I'm still, like, determined to keep this on the low that they don't need to know. And uh, so my parents get home, and I'm like, so, how was D.C.? Uh, and they're kind of looking at me like, are you drunk? Like, what's going on? Uh, I'm just a little thick. Sorry. Uh, and so finally, uh, it was just useless. Like, the looks they were giving me, I was like, yeah, so I got my thumb pills while you were gone. Uh, and that's really what I sounded like, I promise. Uh, so they weren't thrilled by that, but they still loved me anyway, thankfully. And uh, I didn't keep that for too long. I think I had it for about three months. And in that three months, I swallowed it twice. Uh, great experience, let me tell you. I won't go into detail, but let's just say it was a good time. Uh, so uh, <laughs> the tongue is this incredible gift that God has given us. The gift of speech is amazing. If you look into the animal kingdom, uh, no animal can communicate with nearly the degree of accuracy with one another like we can. Like, like we have this unbelievable gift of language. And I love words. I, lo- I love speaking. I love communicating. I, I love the beauty of language. And it's such an incredible gift, but as is often the case, our greatest gifts 
can often be our greatest weaknesses, can be our greatest challenges. And in James chapter 3, he talks about the challenge of the tongue. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. And then in verse 8, he says that this statement that we're going to kind of build the next three weeks around. He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That my tongue and your tongue, that the tongue is an evil, that it is full of deadly poison. And and I want to read this and say, well, he's talking to non-Christians. He's talking to unbelievers. But the context of the book is not that. He is writing to Christians. He is writing to people who are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, pursuing God. And yet he says, even you, your tongue is full of evil and poison. And I think uh, if we took a few minutes to reflect on this, most of us would say, my tongue has gotten me into trouble at some point in time. Uh, I have said something to someone about someone uh, in such a way that, man, I wish I could have taken that back. And the amazing thing about words is you can't. Once they're out there, they're there. And you can apologize. You can say you didn't mean it. You can retract it. You can say the opposite. But the impact of that statement is out there. Forever. James goes on to say, verse 9, with the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father. Awesome. Praise God. I'm glad that we do. I love praising God. But then listen to this. He says, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that he made mankind male and female, and he made them in his image, in his likeness. And with the same tongue that we worship and we glorify God, we put down, we cut down, we criticize one another who are made in the image of God. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? So what I want to do is take the next three weeks Uh, as we get ready for our Christmas series, which I'm super excited about. I could talk about Christmas all year long, but we probably wouldn't reach anybody doing that. So I'm only going to do it for three weeks. But I'm excited for our Christmas series. But between now and then, we're going to talk about this poison of the tongue. And and we're going to look at three specific ways, and there are many ways, but three specific ways that I think us in, in our generation, in our culture, that we struggle to battle this poison of the tongue. And tonight, today, we're going to kick it off with what to me is the most toxic, the most destructive, the most heinous evil of all that comes from our tongue. Uh, and I've seen it so many times, and I'm sure you have too. But we're going to talk about the poison of gossip. And I know when I say we're going to talk about gossip, every one of us thinks immediately about somebody we know who struggles with this and needs to hear this. But I dare say some of us in this room might be the one who needs to hear it. Some of us might be the one who needs to apply this idea that gossip is a problem, that gossip is a poison. It is a deadly, deadly poison that affects, I believe, all of us at some point in time. All of us are prone to this. All of us can give in to this, even us Christians, even those in leadership. And it's a poison that can ruin everything. In our culture, in our generation, gossip in America is an industry. We have entire channels on television dedicated to celebrity 
gossip. That's what they call it. That's not me like criticizing them. They embrace the term. We are the gossip channel, the gossip blogs. Um, I'm a sports fan. I'm not really into all the celebrity stuff, but sports channels are just as bad. We've got sports gossip and rumors about this coach and that owner and this player and all this stuff. Our culture is inundated and saturated with gossip. A lot of times we like to stereotype this as a female issue. It's not. This is a human issue. In fact, there are verses where God uh, communicates to us about gossip, and he specifically talks about men. Uh, And I don't think that men are that much different than we were 2,000 years ago. We still have the propensity to gossip. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15 says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, are vineyards that are in bloom. And I believe that gossip is one of those little foxes. That the, the picture that's being made here is that you've got a vineyard, a vineyard that's in bloom, a vineyard that is producing something. And yes, there are big things that can come against that. There are tornadoes and storms that all of us are aware of. There are big issues. A, a, a big bear or a lion would break into our vineyard. We would know about it. But with the... Song of Solomon is saying is it's the little foxes that kind of sneak around, that, that you don't even notice, that get inside your vineyard, that are the ones who do the most damage. And I think gossip is one of those. We don't, I, let's be honest, we all rank sins in our mind, right? We all think that this sin is worse than that sin. We try to do that. That's not scriptural, by the way, but that's just the way that we think. And we kind of have these big sins, you know, murder, kind of a big deal. Hopefully most of us have never been guilty of that one, or we like to pretend we haven't. I'm just kidding. Most of us hopefully have not. Uh, But that's kind of a big one. Adultery, big sin, kind of big, out there. People know about it. Gossip. Little sin, right? Just a little fox. I mean, all of us have gossiped, and if all of us have done it, it can't be that big of a problem, right? Well, the reverse is actually true. It's the sin that because all of us have been prone to this at some point in time or another, uh, that it is truly a major issue. And gossip is a little fox that can get into the vineyard of our home, our family, our workplace, our relationships, and yes, our church. And I want to say this, as I give this message today, this is not a correction. This is not, we have seven issues with people who are gossiping right now, and I'm trying to weed them out. That's, that's none of this. Uh, in fact, two times in the last month, a member of our church has come to me and said, hey, I've got a friend who, who wants to come to church, but they're afraid to come to church because they're afraid of what people will say about them. Uh, in one case, uh, it was a teenage mom who was, I believe, 16 years old, and she had a baby. And she was like, well, she doesn't think, you know, that she can come to church. She was afraid that everybody's going to think that she's a blank, blank, blank. And I won't repeat the word that she, they said, but this was the, the real concern that this mom had that we're going to look down on her, that we're going to judge her, that we're going to talk about her. And I want to tell you, on all integrity, I told that person that, that was inviting them, you got nothing to worry about. Man, this church does not judge people like that. We do not talk about people like that. We do not have issues like that. This is a safe place for somebody to come who needs Jesus, who needs to be loved. I can't think of anybody who needs the support of a church family more than a single mom, especially a teen mom. Man, I, I would love it if God made us a church that, that girls who have a baby out of wedlock, that we could become the church for them, that could reach them, that could minister to them, that could love them and support them because they're going to need it. 
And man, those precious kids need Jesus too. Um, I would love that. There was another situation that was a little more personal. I'm not going to share the details of it, but where somebody had something very specific going on and they said, hey, if I come to the church, are we going to be rejected? It was actually a family. Are we going to be looked at because of this? Uh, and I told the person who invited them, I was like, no. Man, I promise you've got nothing to worry about. Our people are going to embrace you. They are going to love them. They are going to high-five them at the door, um, and, and it's not going to be an issue. So when I give this message today, I want you to know I'm, I'm giving this to you from, as your pastor from a place of pride in you. I'm proud of our people. Man, we've got our own issues and our own junk, but thankfully I don't see this as one of them. That being said, the little fox of gossip is always just around the corner. And it can creep in so quickly. Uh, and so when I give this, I'm giving this from the perspective of us as a church uh, to protect us, to protect what God is doing. Let me ask you this question. How many of you would honestly, and, and don't just raise your hand to be cool or to be nice or to make me feel good, how many would say, honestly, this church has made a difference in my life? Like, I'm better off because of this church. Look around. Keep your hands up. Look around. Don't you think that's worth protecting? Don't you think that's worth fighting for? Man, I'm so excited to see that so many people could say, yeah, honestly, th this church has made a difference in my life. And I, here's what I believe. I believe there's a whole lot more people that God has for us to reach and to make differences in their life. And this is one thing that if we don't make sure that we get this right moving forward as we grow as people, as we grow as a church, this is one thing that could completely throw us off track. This message will apply to your own personal relationships. It'll apply to your family. It'll apply at school. It'll apply at work. It'll apply probably this week, wherever you go to Thanksgiving with some family members that you may not get along with that well, that you may be challenged to say something about. Um, but I want to teach today from the perspective of us as a church. Um, and this is why. I believe that the enemy has no greater weapon that he uses to destroy churches than gospel seen it happen so many times as a kid growing up. I, I grew up in a family of church hoppers, and I thank God for my mom and dad, and my parents did so many things right. This is one thing that they didn't, um, and I can remember 12 years old sitting in a group of my parents and about three other families talking about our pastor, talking about this bad decision, and why did they do blank, 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 and how did this happen, and I remember, and not, not just once, I remember multiple times at different churches where we were part of that little group, which is amazing how those People always find each other. Uh, gossips are magnets for other gossips. Uh, and, and, you know, and we had all of these conversations and dishonored leadership. And I'm not saying leadership is always perfect, because I know I'm not. And I'm not saying this only just happens about leadership. Uh, this happens to everybody that, that gets talked about if we're not careful. But I remember being a part of that growing up. I remember as a young adult going to intern at Church on the Move and, and blessed, so blessed to be accepted into this internship and I remember Pastor George teaching some things as, as I first got out there, and the church was a little different than what I grew up in, and just greatly disagreeing with what he had to say and talking to about seven other interns, finding out what they thought about it. What do you think about what Pastor George just said? Uh, well, here's what I think, blah, blah, blah. And I remember, like, rallying people against the theology of the church that I was interning at, um, which is awful, awful. And, and thankfully, I was able to repent of that and, and to be redeemed from that. Um, I also remember once I started here as youth pastor back in 2005, when I came here, this was uh, 
called Church on the Horizon. We were in South Haven. A lot of things were different. When I first got here, we actually met on AstroTurf uh, at the old Doolin's building. Uh, and we were still in the AstroTurf phase. This was about five moves and three pastors ago. Our church has been through a lot. If you've been around for a while, you know. Uh, but back in the AstroTurf days, uh, the church was just growing and reaching people. And people were getting saved. And it was so cool what was going on when I first got here. And about two months after I got here, I remember I was actually driving back from a wedding that I'd gone to back in Tulsa. And as I'm driving back, I I got a call from Pastor Jason, who is the founding pastor of our church. And he told me that about eight families were leaving our church. And I was like, whoa, what happened? And uh, basically, really, really long story, really, really short. One person uh, had gotten offended over a, a leadership decision that was made and talked who talked, who talked, who talked, who talked. The next thing you know, eight families were ripped out from our church family um, over something really, really insignificant, something that didn't need to be such a big issue. Um, And I'm not speaking negatively about those people. I'm sure that God has done great things in their lives in the last seven years, and and I'm still friends with many of them, and I love them, and they're on my Facebook page. You can find them. Uh, but, uh, But I hate to see what the enemy does with gossip. Because I've seen it so many times, and yes, it happens in, in many, many different avenues, but he loves to bring it against the church. He loves to destroy the call of God on a body of believers. Because if he can make us focused on each other, guess what? We're not focused on the lost. We're not focused on the call, on the purpose that God has placed on us. We're not focused on glorifying him. And so he's going to do anything he can to make us focus on this weakness or that problem or that issue that we have with one another. And we've got to fight against it. Gossip is a poison that splits churches, destroys people, and inhibits the body of Christ. Did you know that the top two reasons why people don't go to church The top three reasons why people have either stopped going to church or why they never go to church in the first place. Number one is they think church is boring, uh, which hopefully we're doing something about that. I hope that you don't have that opinion about us, but if you do, don't tell anybody. We're not gossiping. Um, Just kidding, but seriously. But second reason that people don't go to church is they're afraid of being judged or talked about. What awful, awful statement of the reputation of God's people amongst the lost, the hurting, the broken, the unchurched. That the thing that would keep them from coming to to be part of the thing that God created them to be part of, the body of Christ, is not that they don't believe in God. It's not that they have some major sin issue that they're not willing to deal with. It's none of those big things. It's they're afraid somebody's going to say something about their tattoo or about the way they're dressed, or about whatever little thing in their life that maybe doesn't look like the stereotypical church-going person. So I'm committed we're not going to be that church. We're not. Um, I will not draw too many lines in the sand. I want us to be diverse. I want us to have people of different backgrounds, different social status, financial status, racial, ethnic, whatever. But this is one line I will draw. We're not going to be a church of gossip. We're just not. We're going to be a church that is a safe place for people who need Jesus. I'm not saying we're going to be a church that's a comfortable place. Because if you've been here for a while, you know I'm good at making you uncomfortable. Sometimes i got to confront some stuff. Sometimes i got to talk about some stuff. And I'm not trying to just make everybody feel good and happy. But it dang well better be a safe place. Where people don't have to worry about being cut down 
by being ripped apart by other Christians. That's not the kind of church that we are going to be. So this little fox of gossip is always lurking just around the corner. We've got to keep it out. We've got to protect the calling of God on us as a people. And so what I want to talk to you about today is how to, for us to develop uh, a zero tolerance of gossip. How as an individual and for us as a church to be a place of no tolerance for gossip. Um, Nothing will stop us in our tracks faster than gossip. That's why the Bible uses a different scale when dealing with gossip than any other sin. If you go to Matthew 18, there, there's a process for church discipline and what to do if you've got an issue with somebody. How do we deal with it if somebody in the church gets out of line? And yes, there is discipline in the church. And yes, there are things that we have to confront and have to deal with. But you know, Matthew 18 has four steps to it. There's a four-step process. There, there's things that play out. There's time. There's patience for people to get things fixed. There's only one exception to that. And we find that exception in Titus chapter three, verse 10 and 11. Check this out. It says, warn a divisive person once, a gossip, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Very direct, very black and white. You cannot tolerate this in the body of Christ. And it's not that that one sin is more tolerable than another. It's not that, yes, we're going to have grace for people with drug addictions, but no, we're not going to have grace for people with a gossip problem. But what it is, is that drug addiction is not going to rip apart the church. Drug addiction is not going to keep people from coming to Jesus. Gossip can and it will, and it does, time and time and time again. And if you've been in other churches down through history or you've been here long enough, you've seen it happen. You know the danger of what gossip can do. So we can't play around with something this explosive and this life-threatening. I believe it truly is a deadly poison. It's a virus that will infect everyone who comes in contact with it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had food poisoning, but if you get food poisoning, your body reacts in a couple different ways. There's one more pleasant than the other, but neither of them are really desirable. Uh, And when you get that food poisoning, basically your body decides, I've got to get this thing out. This poison cannot stay in me any longer. It's got to be removed. Uh, And that's exactly the picture, I think, of what we have to be when it comes to gossip. We can't tolerate it. We can't hold on to it. We can't let it simmer. We've got to deal with it. We've got to push it out. Now, if you want to take that picture even further, uh, gossip is not just simply being the one talking. Gossip is giving that person an ear. Uh, The Bible makes it clear that that's just as much a gossip uh, in the book of Proverbs. And so if you are the one who maybe doesn't spread the gossip but just has that listening ear, uh, you are basically making yourself the bucket for people to get their poison out. You are allowing yourself for somebody to vomit all over you, okay? That, that's what you are doing when you're just putting your ear out there. You're just kind of putting it out. Hey, just vomit right down my ear hole. Tell me what you've got. And that's a terribly nasty picture, but I promise you that's exactly what it is. As you're taking their junk and you're allowing it to get in you. And I promise if that happened, you would probably throw up too. You would get sick unless you were really, really messed up. Uh, but you would not respond to that well. And that's... What gossip does, you get it in you, and then you go vomit it out on somebody else. And that's exactly the way that it works. And we're going to have to deal with it. We're going to make sure that we're not going to be a church like that. In Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, the, the Apostle Paul gives us 
a list of nine things that are called the fruit of the Spirit, the evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. If you go through that list and then you put gossip next to them, gossip is pretty much the opposite of each of those things. Gossip is not love. It is not joy. It is not gentle. It is not kind. It is not exercising self-control. If you're around a place full of gossip, if your workplace, if people are always talking about the boss or always talking about this coworker or that coworker, that's not a place of peace. It's a place of discord. Gossip is the opposite of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the opposite of the evidence that God is at work in our life. It's been a major weapon in the arsenal of the enemy since before hell even existed. You know that gossip is what started the rebellion that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven? Lucifer decided, hey, I'm bigger than God. I'm better than God. I'm going to take over the throne. So he started talking to the other angels. And one-third of the angels listened to him, and they rallied to him, and they tried to overthrow God. And I don't know if you've ever tried to overthrow God, but it doesn't work. He's still God. Lucifer's not. He got the boot. He got kicked out of heaven. He's not there anymore. But gossip is what started it. Gossip's the reason there's even a hell to begin with, because hell wasn't made for man. It was made for Lucifer and his angels. That was the reason why God created it. Um, Gossip started all that. Go back to the Garden of Eden, the reason why man first fell was gossip, a little snake, creeped up in and started talking, started whispering, started saying some stuff. And Eve listened to it. And Adam listened to it. Listened to him, cast doubt on who God was and cast doubt on God's authority. And because they listened to that voice, we inherited sin in our DNA. It's all because of gossip. Gossip is a weapon that's been around from the beginning. Gossip literally means a whispering. Definition from the dictionary calls it a secret slandering a magical murmuring of a charmer of snakes, a speech injurious to another person's good name, to speak against, to speak evil of, backbiting, to defame, or to belittle. Ultimately, gossip is the opposite of Jesus. John eighteen twenty says, Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret, I have said nothing. Jesus said, I don't got nothing to hide. I'm not going around talking negative about anybody. I'm not talking against the priests, chief priests and the Pharisees. Now he'd confront them. He'd tell them to their face, you're a hypocrite. You got some junk in your life you need to fix. But he wasn't running around rallying people against the Pharisees, rallying people against Caesar, rallying people against the authority. In secret, he said nothing. And it's the opposite, ultimately, of God's plan for the world. Mark 4.22 says, there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that it should come to life. God's going to bring everything to light. He's going to bring everything out. The little conversations that we have in secret, the the little things that we think nobody's going to know about. It's all coming out. A great example of why God is so down on gossip is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 9. God, uh, God had anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. Saul was chosen to be the king. And Saul had an issue with David, uh, and then he actually had some people around him who were speaking negatively about David, who were gossiping about David, and Saul lent an ear to it. Saul listened to these people cut down on David, and ultimately, Saul was poisoned, and Saul had to be removed from leadership. God couldn't allow him to continue to lead Israel, and ultimately, Saul died, and his throne was taken away from his family and given to David. 
gossip is a major, major problem. I believe that God hates gossip so bad because going back to James 3, it destroys the image of God in someone. God has made us in his image, in his likeness. He said, this is who you are. He has an identity for us. And when we gossip and we cut down one another, what we're doing is we're lessening the picture of who God made us to be. It's a terrible, terrible sin. I want to give you a couple, uh, three different types of gossip. You might be able to identify with what gossip is maybe in your world or in your life based on some of these types. The first one is what we would try to call justifiable gossip. Well, I know maybe I shouldn't talk about them, but you need to know what they did to me. If you knew what they did to me, if you knew how they hurt me, you'd understand why I'm talking about them. It's because I've been hurt, I've been disappointed, I've been betrayed, I've been disillusioned. Because this happened to me, I'm going to talk bad about you. It's when you allow your pain, your hurt, or your brokenness to distort God's image in yourself. And when God's image in you has been distorted, then you begin to lash out against others. Another one would be what someone would try to call Innocent gossip. This is the one that happens most often in churches, or at least where it starts the most. Um, It's skilled at making gossip seem harmless or even positive or beneficial. We distort the true intended purposes of our words, our prayers, our curiosity, turning innocence into vindictiveness and cynicism. So here's how it goes. Uh, You are a secret agent, and you're going out. Well, I just think we need to pray for so-and-so. I'm just really concerned about Brother Bob. Brother Bob, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but I seen him down at the casino. It's like, did you? Tell me more. Uh, and, and we couch it in the super spiritual mentality that, I, man, I'm just really concerned about him. We need to pray. Uh, and, man, if you're really concerned about somebody, you want to pray for him, pray for him. But you don't need to tell the rest of the world the details of why you're praying. Man, go, go before the Lord. Tell him what's going on. Um, did you hear about what happened to poor Jack? Man, I can't believe his wife's cheating on him, and she's doing it. And, and, and we tell all these stories, and we try to make it seem innocent. I promise you this is where it starts in the church nine times out of ten, is we try to make it seem like it's okay. Um, then there's the, the Jezebel spirit, which is really connected to this. That's the questioning spirit. That's the, oh, well, what did you think about what Damien said in the Kid City meeting? Uh, well, what did you think about the decision that Jackie made about the coffee bar? Uh, like, probably nobody's saying those things. Ridiculous examples. But, but those are, uh, the way that it starts is that it's that little question, that little seed where you're clearly looking for a negative response, but you're not saying, here's what I think initially. Then they respond like, you know, I think you might be right. Uh, and, and you put it on them, that they're the one who spoke negatively. Um, watch out for the sway of they. Watch out for the, the influence of others when people start to talk. Moses was called to lead God's people into the promised land. He set out 12 spies. Two spies had faith, 10 spies did not. What did the Israelites do? They turned around. They didn't go in and take the promised land because the majority didn't have faith because the majority spoke negatively about the plans of God. Man, we got to choose. God's always the majority. I don't care how many people are speaking against him. I don't care how many people are on the other side. I'm always going to go with God. Third kind of gossip is situational gossip. Situational gossip is when you only gossip in, in certain situations, certain locations, or around certain people. You find the, your little terrorist cell, and man, they feel the same way that I do. And now, now I, and, and here's what we call it. We call it venting. 
Sometimes I just need to be able to vent. Sometimes I just need to have somebody that I can confide in. Well, you know what? The book of Psalms is all about some venting. David went before the Lord and talked about, why is this going on in my life? Why are the evil prospering? Why is this evil king doing this? Man, there's a great place to vent. You need a vent, go talk to God. You're frustrated with somebody. Somebody's being negative, influencing your life, having a, causing you problems, offending you. Go before the Lord or take it to them. But that's the only two options God gives us. We don't have the option to go and find somebody else to, to vent to. So those are three different types of gossip. Each of these types of gossip ultimately come down to this. Hurting people hurt people. When we're hurting, when we're disillusioned, when we feel like we didn't get what we deserved or we didn't get what we're supposed to have, that's when we go out and we hurt someone else. Deuteronomy 27, 24 says, Cursed is anyone who attacks a neighbor in secret. When we gossip, we are living under a curse because we've attacked our neighbor in secret because we didn't have the courage and the guts to go deal with our issues face to face. Here's two little tests. Uh, I don't know. I grew up loving Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if jokes. This isn't really a joke, but here's a little test. It might be gossip, or you might be a gossip if. Number one, if you're in a room with some people, and you're talking to all the people in the room, and you start to tell something, and you still feel the need to whisper. Well, let me tell you about sounds. If you start to lower your voice, and there's no one else around who can hear it, that's probably a pretty good sign that what you're saying is not something you need to say. Your subconscious is communicating, this needs to be on the low. That's a great sign. Another one is uh, if the person that you're telling the problem or the complaint to has no power to address it. And that's really the definition of gossip. If you're going to somebody else, uh, if you're going to Jackie, talking about all the problems that you got with Cody Scott, man, I got many problems with Cody Scott. Trust me. I'm just kidding. I don't. I love you, Cody Scott. But if you were doing that, Jackie doesn't have any influence over the worship team. She has no say in what's going on there. She's not the person to talk to that about. She has no power or control to do anything about it. Go to Cody. Talk to him. Go face to face. Um, There's two things going on constantly at the throne of God. Two, I guess we could call them ministries. Jesus is at the throne of God interceding for us, speaking up for us, advocating for us. But that's not the only thing. There's also the ministry of accusation. You see, the enemy, Satan, goes before the throne of God, accusing us, saying, here's the issue that I have with Vincent. Here's the problem that I have with Pam. Here's the junk that's going on in Patrick's life. And he's an accuser, and he's constantly laying things out. And so ultimately, when we gossip, we're not like Jesus, who's advocating and defending and protecting. We're like the enemy who's accusing and pointing fingers constantly. As we get ready to close, I want to give you very quickly four keys for us to be a no-tolerance zone for gossip. If we're going to be that type of a church that's a safe place for the broken, the hurting, the lonely, the messed up, the addicted, the downcast to come in and find hope and find peace and find change and ultimately find Jesus. If we're going to do that, Here's the things that we got to do. Number one is we need to treat gossip as life-threatening. We need to quit winking at it. We need to quit playing with it. We need to treat it as life-threatening. In the message version, Leviticus 19.16 says, Don't spread gossip and rumors. Don't just stand by when your neighbor's life is in danger. I am God. Spreading gossip and rumors is linked to the destruction of life. That we've got to protect life. We've got to protect the life of our brother. You've got to protect the life of the person next to you. We've got to protect the life of our church. 
Gossip is life-threatening. There's eternity on the line. If you went out tomorrow, and God forbid, and you committed physical murder, you would end a life, which is a terrible, terrible thing. But if you went out and gossiped, you would be playing with eternity. You would be risking the fact that somebody's not coming to Jesus because of what you said, that somebody's going to eternally suffer death. It's a terrible thing. We've got to treat gossip as life-threatening. Number two, key to being a, a no-tolerant zone is we need to replace jealousy with rejoicing with others. And instead of getting upset when somebody else gets promoted, when somebody else gets an opportunity, when somebody else gets a chance for something, somebody else gets a raise, whatever that might be, man, we need to rejoice with them. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are honored with it. All the parts are glad. We need to be glad when good things happen to other people, especially in the church. Man, when somebody has some, something good happen to them, we need to celebrate. We need to be thankful that God is doing something good in their lives. Third key is we need to live life as if there's no secrets. Just live life as if there's no secrets. Romans 6.15 says, but thank God you started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. And that's the message paraphrase, but I love that. We're supposed to live openly in the freedom of Jesus because we got a new master. We need to quit living as if they're secrets. If we got to lower our voice and look around to see who's listening, it's a pretty good sign something's off. Final thing, if we're going to be a no-tolerant zone for gossip, is we need to be bold and proactive. We've got to be bold and proactive. Proverbs 10.10 says, People who wink at wrong cause trouble. But a bold reproof promotes peace. We got to promote peace. And sometimes that means we got to call somebody out. Sometimes that means somebody comes to us and says, did you hear about so-and-so? And we just got to tell them, I'm not the one. I'm not the person to talk to about this. Have you, have you talked to them? Well, no, I haven't talked to them yet. Well, you need to go do that. Uh, you may need to take somebody physically and go directly to them and talk to them right now. I promise they're not coming to you with gossip again. If you do that, if you say, well, you know what? Becky's right around the corner. Why don't we go tell her what happened? Uh, you go take them to Becky. They ain't coming to you with gossip next time. They will find somebody else. I promise. Uh, we got to be bold and proactive. Very simply, you can just tell them this. Hey, man, let me empower you with this. Just say, hey, we don't do that here. That's just not who we are. We don't talk about people. We don't cut down leadership, man. We don't cut down the people next to us. We don't cut down new people coming in. We don't talk about how they look. We don't talk about their issues. We don't talk about their junk. We don't talk about the fact that, well, I saw what so-and-so posted on Facebook and da-da-da-da-da-da. We ain't worried about all that. We are an imperfect church full of imperfect people chasing and pursuing and glorifying a perfect God. And you've got to get a hold of that. Man, we've got to get a hold of that. We are not going to cut each other down. We shouldn't be surprised when there's some junk, when there's some imperfections in the person next to us. All that is is one more opportunity for God to show himself strong. It's one more chance for God to do something, for him to give us a testimony, for him to show up in our midst. So do this. Turn to the person next to him, you and say, we don't do that here. Let's just practice it. Turn to the person on the other side and say, we don't do that here. All right? I am giving you permission as your pastor. If somebody comes to you talking about anybody in this church, say, we don't do that here. And then point them to that person. Man, if they got an issue with somebody, sometimes there are legitimate offenses. Sometimes there's legitimate problems. I'm not trying to to cover this all over and just laugh at it and say, hey, there's nothing or anything wrong. Sometimes there is. And when that happens, we need to go face to face and have the courage to deal with it. Have the courage to, to, 
So work it out. Have the courage to love each other enough to be honest about where we're at, to be honest about our hurts, to be honest about the things that have happened, and trust God enough that his word is true, and that when he tells us, here's the way to deal with our problems, that he knows what he's talking about, that he knows what's best for us. And man, if we can do this, I promise you, I can give you 75 different church growth strategies. I can give you all kinds of plans and ideas and outreaches and events and stuff we could do. If we just get this down, City Church will grow. If we are a church that doesn't bash each other, that doesn't gossip, if we're a church that truly accepts people and loves people, this church will grow. Because if you don't remember, the number two reason why people don't go to church is they're afraid of being judged and talked about. And when word gets out that there is a safe place to come and be a part of, there's going to be no stopping what God can do through us. Not because we're great, because we ain't, but because he is. And that's my heart and my passion and my hope and my prayer for our church, is that we would deal with gossip in our own personal lives, that we'd get rid of it, and that we'd be a place that, man, we just don't do that here. That's not who we are. We're going to protect each other and be a safe place for people to come and love Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.